0: I'm Gian DeLeon, and this is K11 Conversations, a podcast where we discuss the intersection between creativity, culture, and innovation, in line with K11's social mission to incubate talent and propagate culture. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Max Moore, the head of Contemporary Art Auctions and worldwide co-head of digital art sales at Sotheby's. Max will be giving us a crash course in the metaverse and Web3, a dynamic new space where K11 and Sotheby's hope to incubate and propagate the new frontier of art. We discuss how K11 Musea and Sotheby's are bridging the offline and online worlds, the inclusive community being built via Web3, and some of today's most exciting artists working in the NFT medium. All right, Max, thanks so much for taking some time out to uh, speak with me today. How are you doing? I'm
1: good. I'm good. It's just a little late, but uh getting used to this since I moved to Hong Kong from New York. How long has it been now since you've been the uh, worldwide co-head of digital art sales? That title was given to me i would say about five months ago kind of around the time i moved to hong kong as well we've been doing nft sales since april of last year but it wasn't until we realized the true potential that a department was created and my colleague michael in london and i assumed the roles of co-heads
0: now of course uh we're here with k11 and they're taking on a role and in also introducing nfts to the masses but You know, the space in general and the metaverse, you know, you've only been in this role for less than six months. So obviously it speaks to how burgeoning the market is. How did you first find out about the potential here and the technology and how artists and creators from all around the world can participate in this exciting new market?
1: I've been at Sotheby's for about seven years now. My previous role in New York was to run the Contemporary Art Day Sale. Specific focus on emerging and kind of mid-career artists, bringing them into the fold, to the discussion in the secondary market, and constantly trying to find new talent and create new dialogue, new conversations. So it was really during the pandemic, during lockdown, when everything shifted online in terms of our sales platforms. A lot of the live sales, the live exhibitions were shifted online, our engagement shifted online. And someone turned me on to a few of these NFT marketplaces. I was initially very skeptical, to say the least. But after having a series of conversations with the artists that I featured in the first Sotheby's NFT auction pack, I had that light bulb moment where I recognized that there was true artistry
0: in the exploration of this new medium. And for people who are unaware, that one was the Pixel, and that sold for one point three five million. Yeah, so the Pixel was one part of the
1: fungible collection that we released in April. Right. There was an open edition component at that time. There was still enough demand to get the conversation started, but it was nowhere where it is today. So an open edition format actually allowed for fair market conditions to occur. I mean, PAC just completed one for $91 million most recently. So you can see just how quickly the market shifted. But that sale was pretty instrumental, I think, not just for Sotheby's, but for the NFT market as a whole. It was $17.5 million across 3,000 unique buyers. And that really kind of showcased there was real potential here if, if approached the right way.
0: So everyone talks about Web3 as a buzzword. For me, one of the most interesting things about NFT culture is how actually Web1 celebrities, like the earliest memes, have been able to take work and profit from it in a real way. I think. You know, Neon Cat, the Pop-Tart Cat GIF, was one of the first NFTs to break a couple hundred thousand. More recently, the quote-unquote disaster girl meme, Zoe Roth, of the girl standing in front of the burning house, sold for about 500 that she's going to use to charity and paying off student loans. I'm interested in how NFTs are sort of breaking a new class of work, which is internet ephemera and really elevating it into a canon of culture.
1: That's interesting because it was already elevated into a canon of culture, I would say, but there was no way to distinguish it because there was no kind of value placed on it. And now with the blockchain, you open up the ownership and the valuation and the purchase of a digital asset. And that really unlocks the potential for really anything digital pre-existing or anything converted to digital in the future to have ownership rights. And I think it was interesting to see that those memes were one of the first and early adoptions to garner such
0: interest and prices. I mean, recently there was the Indonesian student that essentially did a version of Noah Kalina's a picture a day for X years, and that sold for a couple of million, I believe. Absolutely,
1: yeah. So you're buying you know, moments in history, whether important, historically significant or culturally relevant, that's up to the... Bidders and the ultimate buyer to determine the value. But it just is very important that the creator has the rights to creating these assets, these right. moments on the blockchain. Otherwise, you know, there's going to be a bunch of memes of the same thing, but it's only the actual creator of the meme that should be rewarded and should be collected.
0: To me, that's really the end all be all of why NFTs are important. It's people make things on the internet, they go viral. They couldn't monetize it unless, you know, they happen or do a sponsorship deal or road that into some sort of commercial. And here, this is an opportunity to just get paid off of the work itself. Absolutely.
1: It changes the whole landscape for content creators as well. Musicians, content creators, athletes, there's real potential. Any sort of engagement with an audience, you can redefine your relationship through this seamless pathway, which is going to be mm. quite interesting to see how people can reinvent themselves and reinvent the connection to their audience, to their fans, to their group, both in financial, but also as a sharing of information.
0: Now, with so many people literally just discovering, you know, the metaverse and NFTs for the first time, I want to cover a little bit of the basics so that if somebody's listening and and this is the first time they're hearing about the intricacies of this world, let's talk about minting. What does it mean to mint an NFT? And what's that process like? Is it relatively easy? You know, I've done it a few times, but... (laughs) As I'm not actually the artist,
1: I know that there's various complexities that one can scale up into. It's quite easy to do very basic level. And I think that that kind of shows in the final product. But what I'm really interested in is how these artists are kind of tweaking and really pushing the boundary of what's possible. Maybe that's not actually through the final minting process. That's kind of like the end, you know, I'm finished, I'm done, I've completed the work. But it's the creation process that I'm really interested in.
0: Hmm. I'd also want to know about the benefits of ETH versus Solana. Of course, you know, when we're talking about Ethereum and the blockchain technology, right? It's, it's essentially Ethereum becoming a bit of the unofficial standard of how most NFTs are traded. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's definitely a race. Like any new technology, there's always going to be a race to the frontier. There's a lot of different solutions coming out. Ethereum has definitely taken kind of the main stage, if you will, in terms mm-hmm. of popularity. And I think, just mainstream adoption. But with that has come some significant drawbacks that have opened the discussion for other blockchain projects such as Solana to come in with a much more efficient and cheaper alternative. It'll be Mm. interesting to see how this develops. For me at Sotheby's, I'm not necessarily focusing on supporting one over the other. In that time of discussion, I'm looking more in supporting the artist and the artwork that I feel valuable or appealing to discuss. I don't care if it's on Ethereum or Solana or any of the blockchains. But right now, I I would say that majority of the artists, because the market and the buyers are focused on Ethereum, are still focusing on Ethereum. But as I said, that can switch.
0: I think it's really interesting in that you brought the artists and the art to the forefront and not the blockchain or the trading aspect of it, because I feel like so much of the conversation is about the latter and the value placed on the art, rather than the inherent value of collectors and fans of the artists in the art itself. And so if someone wants to start buying their own NFTs or building a collection, how should they do that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I never really came from any sort of technical background. I wasn't in the early adoption of crypto. I had no horse in this race uh, of my own, I would say. I came from a very physical world, um, from a family that was collecting, you know, contemporary art, uh, grow, growing up with some of that artwork around me, responding to it, you know, having that appreciation, that physical appreciation. I think it's about developing you know, your own taste and your own preference and style. What I see right now is a lot of kind of following the leader mentality. A lot of hype, a lot of discussions on like, what's the next big thing? You know, I need to get the inside information. And obviously that's great. And that does determine market dynamics, definitely at these preliminary stages. But ultimately, I think taste and the artist process really will speak volumes in the end of the day and have this long-term potential. And I think any great artist is really trying to ask questions and capture his or her environment, creating environment. So I think it's quite interesting, this aspect of generative art, the ability for art to take on new forms, new shapes, new ideas over time. Whereas in the physical world, a painting is a painting. And while it is incredibly beautiful as a finished product, there's no more it can become or grow into. So interesting to see how artists are taking this opportunity to ask questions and have their art transform. So my one thing is buy what you like from a visual, from a emotive standpoint, especially even more so in this world where it's so volatile in terms of the value, the financial aspect, you really want to be left with a collection that you appreciate and can get behind as opposed to something that you bought because someone else was buying if the price goes down. That's kind of the worst feeling ever. So buy what you like, do your research, really explore, really treat it as a collection,
0: not an investment. Right. And speaking of collections, you had mentioned, you know, growing up with a family that has collected works by everyone from Cindy Sherman to Richard Prince. How did that sort of influence your eye when it comes to, you know, your sort of personal taste level or the way that you look at NFTs and and modern art being, you know, classically trained, so to speak, in such an established canon of art?
1: I was very fortunate to grow up with parents that had very distinct eye They didn't come from much, but they really spent all their money on these young artists in the the 80s and 90s, collecting them in depth, basically. They found the artists that they liked, and then boom, five, six, seven pieces later, they felt like, okay, now I fully can move on to the next. There was always a saying from my father, if you don't want to buy the second, then you don't deserve the first. That holds true to the way I approach collecting NFTs or selling NFTs and bringing them into the conversation at Sotheby's. It's really, is there long-term future? Is there long-term thought process from this artist? Or is there really just a get-rich-quick mentality about the work itself? And so we're exploring featuring some of the digital creators and artists in the one-of-one and the limited editions, as well as some of the more community-driven projects that have a larger edition size. I think they are both serving an incredible purpose. They capture the sentiment and behavior pool very differently, but in a very unique way. There's no right or wrong direction to take in terms of collecting. So, we're trying to bring everything into the discussion at Sotheby's, but really making sure that we're supporting the right artists, the right projects that we believe have long term potential.
0: That's such a solid piece of advice for sure. You know, you mentioned iterative art. And to me, you know, to imagine a Richard Prince work coming to life through an NFT and then also thinking about, the difference between, you know, an NFT and how someone might think of an addition to print and how someone might think of an art product. One that comes to mind recently is Cindy Sherman, who worked with one of my favorite designer brands undercover, right? And you always see that sort of art and fashion kind of collaboration. What kind of ways do you see NFTs being markedly different from how not collectors per se, but enthusiasts in the art world would interact With the universe around an artist or a work, not necessarily buying a piece, but now they can really have a digital work to call their own and one with provenance on the blockchain?
1: That's a great question. I think really the fundamental difference is that the older school traditional type of collector values privacy and values the scarcity and rarity of what they are purchasing and really wants to kind of retain that in their inner circle. We actually, at the auction house, value that in the same way. If it's fresh to market, it means it hasn't been offered on the market. It really hasn't been shown. It's remained in the same collection for X amount of years. That gives it enhanced value, perceived value. Whereas conversely, on the NFT side, it's the exact opposite is what we're seeing. The more disseminated an image gets, the more popular an image gets, the more valuable it becomes. There's a lot of criticism. Well, I can right-click and save which is valid, which is true. And if that's enough for you, then you can create a whole collection like that. It's just you're not going to have that fundamental kind of connection of ownership, which is a very basic human instinct throughout the test of time is ownership. And we're moving into a digital age where everything is going to be interactable in very seamless ways through a lot of different people but there's only going to be one person that genuinely owns it. You start to see it in the physical world. It's
0: just about wrapping your head around the concept. I think one great parallel between high-profile art collectors and high-profile digital artists is discretion and that line of anonymity. And so, you know, when it comes to collecting modern works by PAC and a lot of NFT artists who otherwise are anonymous, what do you think that says about where the art market is headed versus bigger names In the art world, like Daniel Arsham and Takashi Murakami, you know, artists who have become brands in their own right, delving into the metaverse. And which of those sort of approaches is more appealing to the modern collector, do you think? And how do they differ? It's another interesting question. I think it's developed
1: because of the way our society has developed and the technology has developed that allows one to create a digital persona that's completely different, completely separated from their physical Identity and life. So it's essentially giving individuals the chance to recreate their life from scratch with all the knowledge that they've taken from the physical world. When well, we had the usernames for AOL growing up, that was, I think, the first step. But now you're getting, you know, avatars that represent you in a physical form, and it's going to only continue to progress and grow further. So again, I think that an artist like Banksy. To continue working under the guise and shroud of mystery within a world where everyone is open to the public, and that's kind of a statement in and of itself, was definitely revolutionary and groundbreaking. And I think people are responding to that kind of as an artist for the people, don't focus on the actual creator. And I think PAC, after several conversations with them, has a similar mentality, whereas they want... The collector, the viewer to really focus and hone in on the work itself and not make any conceived assumptions based on the artist's identity or identities. And as a collector, you also can kind of recreate yourself in this new way, in this new light. So you're starting to see actually a lot of these collectors take on these different forms, but are really promoting themselves and creating a brand for themselves, for their collections. It's just under a guise like Cosmo Medici or Token Angels or Whale Shark. You know, these are big collectors now that are coming in under a different name under different guise, but really making a stand.
0: Now, you raise a great point, right? Because I want to talk about social media and then Twitter Blue, like premium services where you can pay to have, you know, an NFT that you own as your avatar. What do you think it is about our current sort of hybridized paradigm? You know, we're having this interview on Zoom. We're looking at each other face-to-face in quotes. But is it because we've been accelerated in terms of how we use the digital world and form our digital selves within the past couple of years that people have been willing to say, you know what? I'm going to have a pixelated zombie as my digital self, and I'm going to buy it so no one else can have it. Or like an ape kind of avatar. And what does that say about, you know, our status symbols and what we put value in to reflect our own sense of tastes have evolved.
1: I actually saw... Some people walking around with an Apple watch with their board ape or crypto punk on the screensaver.
0: That's amazing.
1: And now it's significantly starting to flip the prices of like a Rolex or a Patek. So it's interesting to see kind of where the cultural value is being driven from and how it's intersecting. When you have a crypto punk or a board ape as your profile picture, it means one of two things. Either you're an early adopter. And so you're an OG or. You've got significant money and you're a wealthy investor, if you will. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you're starting to get labeled by the things that you collect, the things that you appreciate. It gets you access into these different communities. That's that community-driven projects that we have definitely focused on at Sotheby's because we see just the cultural relevance and popularity of these projects growing tremendously. But they're taking on a very different shape, collecting style than traditional art, for example, or the NFT art that we're seeing like Beeple or Pac or Rafik.
0: Before NFTs, right, I think there was a lot of buzz around sneakers and streetwear in the collectibles market. And unironically, a lot of people in those communities have been the early adopters of crypto and NFTs. You know, uh, Bobby Hundreds of the Hundreds, Bobby Kim, I should say, what he's done with the Atom Bomb Squad, his whole collector's community series of NFTs comes to mind. Why do you think that is? And why do you think that's such a natural transition from someone who's saying, you know what? I'm going to purchase these sneakers or this t-shirt online because the value is in the graphic and the proven scarcity of it. And now I'm going to do that in digital form or purely digital.
1: I think you kind of answered it right there. I mean, it takes a specific you know, mentality, I would say. It's definitely not going to be for everyone. But each generation, I think the adoption curve will just grow more significantly. When I started working at Sotheby's, the idea of having a cause or a Banksy in our evening sale was preposterous. The taste may have been there, it's just it wasn't accepted by some of the gatekeepers. And I think it's really interesting to see how the gatekeepers, if you will, are shifting and are changing their stance on a lot of these, I wouldn't say outsider, but...
0: People who existed outside of the quote-unquote traditional art world. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think we're going into a much more democratized playing field where a lot of these collectibles are treated by different collecting categories, different collecting types, and are, are driven by different types of people. So like at Sotheby's, for example, we have fine art, but then we have watches, jewelry, wine, cars, And within the NFT realm, this year you'll start to see us exploring different verticals uh, sports, fashion, gaming, music, in addition to what we're calling the fine art and the PFP collectibles. So I think we're recognizing that there is just a much younger demographic, primarily new to Sotheby's, that is really engaged with this new collecting medium, this new digital format.
0: Well, speaking of younger demographics, right? NFTs have just really opened a whole new world of artists. Off the top of my head, there's Ferocious, who started creating art before he was a teenager and newer, even younger artists like Arthas Ng, who are now participating in the space. And it calls to mind, you know, that classic joke of, oh, my kid could do that. Now, literally, people's kids are creating collectible non-fungible tokens. Absolutely.
1: It's really incredible to see like the story behind Fawocious. There's another incredible story of long neck ladies of a 13 year old who's gained incredible popularity. I mean, what's really interesting is that I think now more than ever, there's a community of buyers that are connected directly with the creators. So there isn't as much of a middleman kind of intermediary that creates the narrative. It really, you can go straight to the source and really find out and connect with the creator on a much different level. So You'll start to see how that develops. There are some negatives to that as well. It's much more easy to sometimes manipulate the market, to take your whole uh, position, to promise the world to the artist with maybe not the right intentions. You know, there is some checks and balances that I believe need to get set into place that we do see in the contemporary art world for better or for worse. But, you know, ultimately, there have been some incredible success stories of how myself included collectors have been able to get in touch directly and really connect with and really understand the artists and their message.
0: Now, speaking of the artists, I think that's been one of the biggest benefits of the metaverse and NFTs is that there are infinitely more ways for artists, not just to monetize the work, but continue to uh, benefit off of their creations. Can you explain a bit of how that works in practice and what are some of the main benefits that attract artists to the medium and the blockchain technology.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in, let's say, the physical world, let's say an artist presents a work, the gallery sells it, they get split 50-50. And then if the collector is to resell it in the future, the collector retains 100% of that profit. There's no way to track or give back. Now, there are some nice collectors that will, out of respect, out of preserving the relationship, go back to the gallery, go back to the artist and share some of the upside, it's not a custom or it's not mandatory. Whereas we're in this blockchain technology era where everything can be controlled in a very detailed way. Artists can not only receive primary sales, but royalties built in for each sale in perpetuity. Now you have creators that are receiving money for the work after the value is actually increasing. Because really, the value increases... Well, in the NFT world, it's a few weeks or a month. But generally, in the art world, it takes about five to 10 years for that artwork to really appreciate and grow if it is to take that path. So that's a fantastic positive. Now, on the flip side, I think that it should be tapered. It shouldn't just be a standard set fixed price for each time. Perhaps collectors can get rewarded over time if they hold on to the piece and that percentage drops then because they're benefiting the artist or if they sell at a loss, perhaps. So there are different ways in which it still needs to be configured, I would say, for it to properly benefit. But right now, the benefits for the artists are incredible comparatively. Right.
0: Earlier, and I'm going to ask a bit more questions on this topic, but we mentioned the sort of mimetic component of NFTs and how you know, the more a certain image is out there, the more valuable it inherently becomes. One of the jokes around NFTs is, I'm going to screenshot this, it's mine now. Isn't that what the blockchain is for? So Technically, you know, anyone could see it or anyone could have an image on their phone, but only one person can sell it and that's who sort of owns it on the blockchain. And that's sort of how the main argument gets, gets that. Or am I getting that wrong?
1: No, no, you're absolutely right there. It really, anyone can interact with it. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be different ways in which NFTs are created in the future so that the actual owner is the only one who has that specific interaction. Maybe it's through the actual hardware. There's some discussion happening, but for right now, the majority of the NFTs, are available to just about anyone who wants to go and, and find it and can be saved on your computer. They can actually be minted as a new NFT. So then it comes down to the idea that who created it and at what point in time. It sounds
0: like we're getting into the meta meta verse. Exactly,
1: you're, you're getting to the metadata of the NFT, which is fundamentally where the um, information, where the value is actually stored. There's a whole language that people need to learn to understand this. And so that's why you're seeing a lot of scams that do occur because there's such easy ways to manipulate to make it seem like it's something similar, but it in fact is different. So the same way that the scam will come in, there'll be information and new features that allow people to really understand what they're buying much more easily. But for the most part right now, it's just one line of code or a few lines of code that separate the owner from the rest of the the world with the interaction. So it really fundamentally comes back down to that human nature and desire to want to own something.
0: I know it seems counterintuitive, but then how would you see regulations applying to the metaverse and NFTs and can they be regulated to sort of safeguard against those kinds of scams?
1: There's definitely regulation going on at the marketplace level, I would say. If customers and collectors are flagging these collections, they're blocked, they're removed. But the real difference from Sotheby's versus really any other of these decentralized marketplaces at the moment is that we are KYCing, know your client, every client that registers to bid or to sell. As a company, you're taking on the same stance as we would for our traditional business model, where it's due diligence on each buyer and seller and bidder for that matter. So, you know, it's caused some friction because of the whole. Essence of the decentralized nature of the blockchain. But I do believe that there's just so much attention that's been turned on NFTs that it's only a matter of time before a much more firm regulatory stance gets taken. It would just make sense to follow what we've been doing at Southerbeast so far.
0: And how does this uptick in scams and people trying to get in the NFT market in a gray area, shady kind of way, how does that reinforce? The work that you guys are doing at Sotheby's and that K11 is doing in really making this market more accessible to a neophyte collector or even a veteran collector? We won't just let anyone mint on our platform.
1: We're not taking that kind of business model. We are trying to recreate and reestablish or further establish our reputation that we have in the fine art world over the past 200, almost 300 years within the NFT marketplace. So that really relies on education and curation. So we've done maybe 15 sales to date, all with a very specific purpose and goal in mind to either promote an artist, to educate, or to grow a collector base. But as a buyer at Sotheby's or a bidder at Sotheby's, you can be sure that we've vetted each of these projects. We stand behind the decision of including them in our sale for these reasons, and that you won't, to the best of our knowledge, will not encounter any
0: scams. Great to hear. You know, we've touched on so many different areas of digital culture and the internet as it applies to NFTs. Where do you see it going? Like, How do you see it impacting not just art, but other industries? Everyone says we're just at the beginning. It's
1: gonna be a bumpy ride, there's no doubt. I fundamentally believe that the rate at which we increased over this past year was to some extent unhealthy. The way in which people came in and thought about it from an investment standpoint, And not really seeing the true potential of it. Those are going to be the first that exit when the going gets tough. And then you're going to have to start all over. But the foundation has been laid to really build upon. It's difficult to say which direction it's going to take the same way it's difficult to understand which blockchain is going to be the decider. But I think that any collectible market can be disrupted in many ways, or at least enhanced in many ways. I mentioned sports. Music is going to be, you know, fantastic opportunity to really expand on this technology to recreate and the metaverse as well. This overarching theme that we keep hearing about, I think will gain some more concrete representation and understanding. And it'll be interesting to see how that conversation develops as well.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Mac. This is an awesome conversation. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. K11 Conversations is produced by Sonia Manalili and hosted by me, Gianda Leon. Special thanks to our guest, Max Moore. Stay tuned for more episodes.